Amy Ingerbretson here, professional skier, dog mom, cat lover, podcaster, and your host for Warren Miller Entertainment's Long Underwear. In this podcast, we are sitting down with world-class athletes, industry legends, experts, and mountain lovers from all walks of life. Nothing is off limits except for one rule. After introductions, there will be no more mentions of skiing or snowboarding allowed. We are stripping off the layers and getting to know the skiers and riders underneath the gear. Welcome to Long Underwear, presented by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. You hear that? That's the sound of a cold Sierra Nevada beer that was delivered right to your door. Learn more at SierraNevada.com. Please drink responsibly. This podcast is made possible by Warren Miller's 71st film, Future Retro, streaming virtually this November. You can't look toward the future without taking a look back at the past. Future Retro will be that connection, past, present, and future. Travel to Antarctica, Montana, Iceland, Switzerland, Alaska, Vermont, and beyond. Join this collective experience, complete with a virtual red carpet, athlete appearances, behind-the-scenes interviews, and vintage throwbacks. Tune into Warren Miller's Future Retro from anywhere. Go to warrenmiller.com to learn more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Long Underwear Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Amy, and while usually on this podcast, we are kind of stripping off the layers with an athlete, today we are going to do something a little bit different, a special new addition to the season this year, where we are going to dedicate a podcast that's aiming to strip off the layers of a topic. And so today, we're going to be talking with two entrepreneurs and industry um, leaders who, who bring unique voices to the ski industry and the outdoor community, um, and we're specifically going to learn about the share with Foundation, uh, which is a partner of Warren Miller, and what they do, the work they do, and how they improve the lives of youth through winter sports. Um, and so with that, um, I'm going to welcome my amazing guests today. We have Constance Beverly, the founder of Share Winter Foundations, and we have Donnie Jones, a former NFL player um, and a board member of Pocket Outdoor Media, which is the parent company of Warren Miller. So hello. Welcome to the podcast, guys. What's up? What's up? <laughs> That's what I love about these podcasts because you can just do whatever. What's up? What's up? It's true. It's a no <laughs> rule space. Aloha, Long Underwear Podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you guys are here, and I'm really excited about this new kind of episode format for Long Underwear. Um, and I think that there are so many important conversations going on right now that I really appreciate you guys both dedicating your time to be here and uh, share both of your views with myself and the listeners. Um, and so, Constance, I'll, I'll start with you, and if you could just kind of introduce yourself um, and give us a little background on you. Of course, you know your life as a snowboarder, and then a, a little bit about Share Winter foundation. Um, we'll get more into that later, but. Absolutely. So yeah, my name is Constance. My friends know me as Stance, which is an apropos snowboard nickname. So I figured I'd just throw that in there. Um, <laughs> I am a former Wall Street lawyer, now snow enthusiast slash activist, if you will. Um, and I'm the CEO of the Share Winter Foundation. I'm not the founder, actually. I took this over from three amazing gentlemen that started this earlier um, and entrusted me with it about three years ago. And yeah, I spend my days raising a bunch of money to give away to other organizations to improve the lives, health, and fitness of youth through winter sports, and basically just kick down barriers to access to what I think is a pretty life-changing, magical endeavor, which is snowboarding or skiing. Um, I know we've all bonded over our love of these sports, and for me, snowboarding was this just amazing outlet that no matter what I was doing, um, you know, I worked in the tech industry, I worked in the law, 
you know, I've been an activist for a really long time. And I think the space where I felt most connected to self and most inspired was through snowboarding. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, if you look at my background, I was someone that like the ski industry would have written off as not worth marketing to, you know, I, Mm -hmm. you know, lost my dad when I was young. My mom raised three girls by herself. I grew up in the Midwest. You know, we weren't super affluent. We weren't going to be ski racers, none of those things. So, you know, wasn't one of those people that was probably targeted by the industry, but I found my way into these sports and it absolutely changed my life. You know, from that, I've gotten to work for some of my heroes. I worked at the Kelly Clark foundation. I, you know, worked with amazing entrepreneurs and brands. And, um, so now I spend my days making sure as many other kids that maybe wouldn't be considered the target market get to join forces with all of us and, just enjoy the mountains and the winter and all the opportunities that happen when you get engaged in these amazing sports. Absolutely. And that's just so important to be ever expanding and to be able to share those gifts that we've all had with others. Um, Donnie, what can you tell us about yourself? You have quite the, <laughs> you have quite the background to fill us in on, of course. Um, you know, give what's, what's our one, two on your background? Um, the one, two, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe the one, two, and three. <laughs> the one, two, and three. You know, um, I just want to piggyback off what Constance was talking about because I come from an industry where it's we're all marketed to, right? The African American community is marketed uh, towards uh, you know the world of, of football, basketball, right? The traditional sports, and I, I think the reason why you find my myself here on your long under, underwear podcast is because, you know, I started off in long underwear. You know, that's that's the area of which I, I kind of found my love of the great outdoors. It wasn't in the world of football. It wasn't in the world of basketball, by the way, which I was terrible at. I mean, I, <laughs> I was a person, right? So, you know, there's a lot of people out there. They're like, oh man, you see this black guy. And they're like, oh, we got to get him on, his, on the basketball team. Let me tell you something. People used to run away from me. People were looking at me like, no, that guy has no handles. He's got no game. You know, he can't even handle himself on, on the basketball court. He's like, he's like a wannabe Rodman with, without the skill, right? Like that, that was me in, in, that, in that world. But I started off, you know, in the ski world. Then I just had a gigantic yard sale and I was like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just going to go straight to the boarding lifestyle, right? And this is like way back in the day. And this is kind of where I navigated myself into the world of football. And so I played professional football for 11 years and then went into the world of television. So I've done a lot of stuff, NBC, CNBC, DirecTV, Travel Channel. You know, I traveled all around the world playing sports at the, at the highest level. And so whether you know, I was in South Africa playing soccer, right, mm-hmm. with IX Cape Town, which is like a direct feeder into one of the best you know, football yeah. clubs, or I was in Thailand, I was doing uh you know muay thai right so i was getting kicked in the face and at the same time i was playing football and so <laughs> i did you know i always like to sort of bring two worlds ultimately together and as i've sort of dovetailed my way out of you know you know a lot a lot of tv i've really kind of focused in on a lot of things around um, economic mobility and 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 financial sort of direction and so i've been a been spending a lot of time on my my investment vehicle and at the same time working to raise awareness around some of the very topics uh, that Constance talked about and and in this effort if you will you know working with an organization called Stand Together but at the same time working with you know Pocket Outdoor Media you know I sit as a as a board member 
And every day I just call the CEO saying, you know, we got to get more people involved, right? We have to get more um, diverse um, participants, right? So that, you know, so, so they, so people that are, are skiing and snowboarding don't feel like I did when, you know, I was 10 years old on, on the mountain and I'm just getting yelled at from the ski lifts, all different types of things. Right. Mm. Um, so I can go out there and I can find my friend, right. So I can find my allies and so I can find my community. And I think that's the joy of being outside, right. Where everybody gets to come together. So that's a, that's a little bit one, two of me. Yeah. Well, but but I the, love this type of conversation. The three of that, though, is that you are a diehard teleskier. You're among one of the elite few. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I, 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 free hill life. You know, drop, you're drop part of that free hill life. Heal for your mind. What did uh, we, we chatted a couple of weeks ago and you compared uh, teleskiing to Beethoven? Like oh, yes. skiing was like rock or something. You want me to tell you? You want me to tell just, that just entire that story? Again. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you just know, give us good. You know, so, really sometimes. Sometimes when, when you know, we have these conversations, people are like, no, 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 Dahani, just leave that out, right? Just leave that out. <laughs> That's like one in. of Dahani's, yeah, I talked about myself in the third person, so I hit myself on the head for that, right? Okay, there it is. <laughs> you know, I have these squirrel moments where I just kind of disappear into this world. But since you brought it up, you know, tel- teleskiing, oh my gosh, it's just so beautiful, right? You know, I, I just remember the first time I saw someone teleskiing, and I was like, what is that? It looks like ballet on the mountain, right? It looks like the gracefulness of a, of a, of a blue jay, you know, quietly <laughs> um, lifting their wings on the, on the thermals of the mountain, right? Just going side to side. And, 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 and the way that, you know, Amy, you, you pointed it out is exactly right. You know, teleskiing is classical music. It's Beethoven. It's Chopin. Um, it, it is... Um, it is music to my ears when I drop a knee and I cut across someone that's trying to blaze down the mountain on their snowboard or on their skis, <laughs> trying to cut me off, playing some of that hard rock music that, you know, like going down the mountain or someone that's on on the board, you know, it's like hip hop and all that. I'm like, man, just cut those beats down. Everything originated from the classics. Okay. So that's what it's really all about. That is me teleskiing. Now we can, we can tell the truth. When I when I'm on the on, on my teleskis, people are looking at me like, "What is wrong with him?" So not only is this a black dude on the mountain, and there's not a lot of them out there, but now all of a sudden he decides to free his free his heel, free his mind. You know what's going on here? So, but I I love that right because I get to have a conversation across multiple multiple arenas in order to kind of have a discussion about like outside. And being on the mountain and being this fresh air. This is what I love to be. And and by the way, my kids will will free their heel. They'll free the soon. heel. I mean, I think just the passion you have and that kind of way of describing what you do is unbelievable. And I'm motivated. I'm proposing that you and I go, I want to learn how to teleski, but I want to learn how to teleski from you. And I was <laughs> telling you about this weekend they have in Muren, Switzerland, at Schiltorn, where it's a teleski only week. And so when we're allowed to travel, I'm meeting you in Switzerland and I'm going to, I'm going to free well, the heel, free the mind. I didn't want to yeah, until I met you and I heard this whole Beethoven <laughs> thing. And now I want to. The, but the thing is our relationship in, in a uh, teleskiing has to start um, at the symphony. It has to, right? <laughs> oh, so it, it okay. has to start, <laughs> um, you know, at the orchestra level, you know, 
we can both bring our partners and we can sit down and we can have a, a time where you just listen to the music. That's what's so beautiful about the outside. You know, like that, I mean, you have to appreciate the, 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 um, you know, the, the woodwinds and the brass section, <laughs> right. And the strings and, <laughs> and you have to appreciate the rhythm, right. Of the drums, right. That's the same thing that we feel when we go outside. Right. Totally. So we, first we embrace that. Constance, we'd love to have you too. I'm, I'm gonna learn. I gotta learn yeah. to regular. Speech. We'd love to have you too. So I don't want you <laughs> to think that I'm like leaving you out Constance. of this. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna start just with straight, regular skiing. Don't skip it. Just go straight just to skip tele skiing. <laughs> Wait, Constance, I, I have mean, you never what? skied before? No. So I did ski actually. Like, so I started as a skier, but my ski buddy was my dad. So my dad passed away when I was mm. nine, and you know, health insurance and a mom raising three kids. It was like, yo, how about we maybe dial it back a little bit. Um, but so I haven't been on skis since my dad passed away. So, which wow. was like, you know, a long time ago. So, but I actually want to take my mom skiing together because she hasn't been on skis since he passed either. So mm -hmm. we were actually supposed to go last year and then COVID, we kind of canceled our trips. So I want to take my mom and get her back on skis and do this together. And then we'll just skip to tele-skiing. Like, why can, not? Can I just say that was, that was beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I mean. I'm so sorry about your loss of your father, but the fact that you're willing to take your, your mom and yourself okay. and go back out there and ski, I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would just love to be there in, in that moment, even though I, I don't <laughs> think it's moment. like... It, it's going to be a very big moment. My mom and I have been talking about this for a really long time. And what's so cool, and this is the beautiful thing about skiing, is like, you know, my mom still kept us in skiing because she loved it so much. So like, mm -hmm. and what's so interesting about Warren Miller and we're really excited that Sherwinner is partnering is, you know, I called my mom and, you know, we'd go watch Warren Miller movies or we'd go to ski shops and get hot chocolate just to stay connected to ski culture because it was such a, an aspect of like my dad's life, my mom's life. And, you know, when people talk about how to connect with different groups of people, it's that community feel, right? It's mm -hmm. that shared experience. And when you're bringing in new groups or new communities, you know, I try to explain that to people. It's like, when you share that love, like if we're going to go to the symphony, you and I are going to have that bonding moment. We're going to transcend things. And then you take that to the mountain. And I think people forget that when they're like, oh, how do we bring new people to the sport? I was like, mm. just share it. Like, yeah, share your love of it. Like you can't go somewhere. Like I can't go skiing with you guys and not be madly in love with the passion that you bring to it. And I think that when that's experienced collectively, I mean, that just changes everything, no matter what your station in life is you feel that just energy and that transcend even if you left skiing for a really long time when the opportunity arises or you get that moment like once you have that like inner when once it hits your soul it's mm -hmm. yours forever right so You're right um, though yeah, so. that collective experience of sharing in that joy is kind of something that's so key to um Cause yeah, like everybody's sure like loves the motion of like sliding down snow or whatever, but it's more about like the people you're with, the memories you've had, the, the, it's about so much more than like just the search of the perfect turn or whatever. But I think Constance that like leads in really well is kind of what, can you tell us more about like the actual mission of the Share Winter Foundation? Um, and then, and how you got involved in that? Yeah. So, you know, the Share Winter Foundation actually started as an initiative of the U.S. ski team. Uh, the ski team recognized that, you know, in order to increase just interest in the sport at its highest level, you needed to create more fans and you needed to open it up to a larger group of people and to more Americans. Like, I think the statistic is less than 3% of Americans ski, right? So you've got to open that up. You've got to reach new markets. And so they started thinking about youth and, you know, the team really needs to focus on 
all of the work it takes to create elite athletes. So a few um, people who had been involved in that initiative decided to start what was previously called the National Winter Sports Education Foundation, which, you know, no one needs another acronym. So we had to rebrand a little bit when I took over. Those long-winded acronyms just scream, you know, long-standing systems of oppression. I don't know, like, it's just the way it is. Like once it's an acronym, it's too long. Vague, so, for sure. Um, too big. Such a mouthful. Does not look cool <laughs> on a jacket. Um, <laughs> also, you know, two lines. too much. Um, exactly. Two lines is too much. So quick branding pro tip. Um, but I, I came to it, you know, I had been an attorney. I was a Wall Street attorney. I spent six years of my life on the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy. Um, but my only outlet during that time is I was volunteering with organizations that worked with youth. So I started with an organization called Stoked Mentoring. Um, you know, I was a volunteer. I remember when they came out. Exactly. Because our, our I think I attended maybe one of those events. Have we yeah. met there before, we maybe? Yeah, <laughs> I believe so. So, like, it was one of the <laughs> people recognized that, like, kids in cities would be really excited mm-hmm. to go sporting. Um, and other organizations like the Chill Foundation that Burton has, um, I just started working with all these organizations as an outlet. And honestly, because I had no shred crew, I didn't really know how to snowboard that well. And I was living in New York City, and my whole crew was this gorgeous, diverse group. Like, my my snowboard crew was, like, a Haitian guy, um, a Black British guy, like, Vietnamese dude, a Chinese woman, and, like, me, this white blonde lady um, from the Midwest. And, like, I just, diversity in snow sports and people from the city, you know, piling into a minivan that would pick me up at my law firm and go snowboarding in Vermont. Like, that was snowboarding to me, right? Mm. That was the ski life. And it was so fun. And it was the thing that, like, freed my mind. You know, I'd be working, billing 28 hundred hours a year at like a job that ate my soul but I would escape and then I would work with kids on Saturdays who were living in Harlem and the Bronx and they're going up to the mountain and just shredding and enjoying life and just being a totally different version of themselves so from that I just kept looking for opportunities because I just saw the magic you know it Mm -hmm. was so obvious to me that so many kids were missing out on what has brought me the most joy because um, there are barriers. Like if you right. look at why people say they don't ski or snowboard, it's usually, it's too expensive. You have to travel really far where they don't know anyone that does. Like most mm. skiers and riders come from families of skiers and riders. If your parents don't ski or ride, or if your parents are recent immigrants and are trying to navigate just basic American life, trying to figure out how to put you on a bus and get you outfitted in ski or snowboard gear with a bunch of people that you don't know, that's a lot. So I, you know, as I moved out of the law and and out of a couple of other jobs, I started working more directly with organizations. And then I got offered this job. I got offered my dream job. You know, they knocked on the door. I was on the board. They said, you know, do you want to do this for a living? And I was like, are you reading my journals? Like, do you know? No, I was like, ah, like people, people on Instagram would call this manifestation, but Mm. I was really just in the right place in the right time. Um, but what's been really wonderful is to take this idea and engage the rest of the industry in it, right? So explaining to people that there are boundaries to participation. It does take a little bit of money and all of our money actually comes primarily from outside the industry. Like our oh, really? budget last year was $1.4 million, $1.5, $125,000 came from 
anything attached to the ski industry. Everything else wow. came from outside funders. Only $125,000 wow. came from the ski yeah. industry itself? That's exactly. shocking. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, but with the, before we get too excited about that, we never really went out and asked because people hmm. before us had asked, you know, Stoked had asked, Chill had asked, SOS Outreach had asked, all of our amazing grantees. I've been working with them for 10 years and I saw that they were asking and I saw what they were getting. So what was amazing about this opportunity is a group of individuals who are now all anonymous donors through family foundations, donor advised funds, decided this mattered because a lot of people are like, oh, that's a luxury. You know, mm. give a kid a basketball is cheaper. That is the number one thing people say to me when I talk about youth, sports-based youth development and skiing. They're like, can't they just play soccer? Soccer is cheaper. Mm. And I was like, well. What do you say to them when, when that happens? Yeah. So, so many things. Um, <laughs> but. I think if I just cliff notes it for you, my favorite thing is, yeah, it's absolutely expensive. And yeah, there's a lot of necessities. I mean, we have a program in Flint, Michigan, and people would be like, why are kids in Flint skiing? Like they have bigger problems. I was like, yeah, they do have bigger problems. And so that's yeah, why they need to go skiing. Yeah. That's, and that's why they need to have access. When you look at a kid, I liken it to a scholarship. Like I got scholarships to go to college and to law school because some very wealthy individuals gave money to schools that invest in me. Sports-based youth development is an investment. And when a kid knows that the most elite thing that is usually reserved for the most educated, richest, highest class, when like it's been branded as the most elite thing you can do in winter, when you're giving that to a kid, you're saying you are 100% worth it. You do not need to stay in your neighborhood. You do not mm. need to be who people think you are. I'm not handing you a basketball because that's what people think you should work with. This is an opportunity. If you want it, it's yours. You deserve it. It's you're just as worthy as everybody else. And kids are so resourceful. Like think about growing up. Once you figured out you wanted something, whether it be like an iPhone or, you know, an opportunity, once you fall in love with it, you figured it out. You figure out how to hustle it. You make friends. You figure out like when the bus leaves, you figure out how to get a job at the resort, but someone has to get you in. Yeah. So that's what we do. I mean, in a nutshell, that's what we do. We take resources and we share them to enable all kids from all different types of backgrounds to have an opportunity to not just come into these sports, then also to start running these brands, mm -hmm. running these mountains, bringing different ideas and diversity. You're talking about diversity pools. The whole industry is like, oh, we're so into diversity. Where are we going to find these people? I got 20,000 kids <laughs> that would really like a job in about five years. Yeah. So, but you've got to start at the beginning and you've got to give access and welcome people to the table and and say you actually belong here. So, you know, when we talk about all these things, it's like we tell kids, oh, make something of yourself, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer, do this. But no one ever says you can be an accountant or a major ski brand, or you could be a product designer, or you can be an engineer, or you can, you know, you could be an educator or a teacher. Every job that we tell kids to like pull themselves up by their bootstraps at, you can do within this industry that desperately needs a new workforce. And a bigger community. So, and a bigger community of like shared resources. Like the more people coming from the city, the better public transportation, the better infrastructure, the better everything. So, you know, that's kind of how it all comes together. And when people say it's not worth the investment, I was like, are you saying that every college scholarship isn't worth the investment? Every tutoring program, every SAT prep program, every bit of philanthropy, it's like, yeah, it's an investment, but it's an investment worth making. And if you're saying something about who we should be investing in, I think you need to look at your own perceptions and ask yourself why that's even a question to you. Like, I don't know, I don't know why we're having this conversation other than 
your perception might be a little off. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Dropping so, knowledge. It's so Trying. interesting. Like, <laughs> I think it's so interesting. The ski culture and the ski industry in the U S has, is obviously, uh, extremely elitist. And uh, I'm not saying that looking at the ski industry in Europe is a good place to look for examples of diversity, but in Europe, skiing is a sport of the people. Yeah. It's very much a, a true middle-class sport. It's There's varying levels of access and it's very easy to get started skiing there. You can get even at the biggest you know resorts, you can ski the easy lifts for free and stuff. And I just, I, I'm always been constantly in search of, of why our industry has gone that route. And I think it has to do with the, the monopolization of uh, ski resorts and the focus on real estate rather than skier experience. Um, and that trickles down into, you know, everything to do with this community and that we're making this industry exist within the U.S., which is so diverse and that like the industry just doesn't reflect that at all. And I just think that you know, the work you're doing at Share Winter is so such a fundamental first step. Cause I think a lot of times, like I've heard people say like, oh, well, if you just take a kid skiing like one time, it's like taking someone like me for like one ride in a private jet and I'll never do that again. But I think what you're saying is so much more clear in that like, once you introduce that passion, like people will find a way, you just have to let them know that they're welcome and that it's there. Cause I think a lot of things like what you're saying is like kids, people, from other walks of life than, you know, the life that I was privileged to grow up in living in a ski town, they just don't even know it's there. Mm. And I think, I I think more of it, and and I know we can kind of get into the, the, to the details of the nuances of culture and commerce, right. Where people are investing their own time and energy. But I think all of it is wrapped around sort of this, this present of, of awareness, Mm -hmm. right. It's all about, awareness, people will find the resources if they can, right? Mm-hmm. And there are amazing organizations like yours, Constance, that is that is providing capital for those that want to be able to participate, but you still have to find your way to the organization. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the bigger barriers to entry than anything else. And I think that is also insulated by culture and community because there's a perception of if you do do that, what you what will you become or how will people see you Mm -hmm. right in the world of football where i played for 11 years in black community it's second nature to music and other forms of entertainment but if you think about it from a cultural standpoint more people are playing and more people are participating it doesn't mean that other people are, are not skiing not snowboarding but the conversation of it all is potentially not usual and when you do participate in that way people say well you're playing their sport right so you got to break down the barriers of it's not them it's all of us you got to you know incorporate a conversation of we can all try new things we can all go different places there's also stereotypes around hot versus cold mm-hmm. right hey, where would i rather be would i rather be in Miami and the beach or where they're rather be in Burlington, Vermont, or would I rather <laughs> like Burlington, Vermont. What are you talking about? It's 20 degrees outside. No, no, no. Actually it's five below like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not going out there. So right. True. So there's so many other nuances that have to be taken into consideration. Never mind the, the direct, you know, resources that are needed in order to try new things. And that's what's interesting about our model is, you know, yes, we're doing great things, but the people that we're funding, because we are a grant-making organization, um, grants and other resources is a good way to look at us, is that 
the groups that we work with are working in the community. They know their community. The kids mm-hmm. feel safe taking their kid. Their parents feel safe taking their kids to the YMCA of North Lake Tahoe. Like they have a bond. They understand each other. There's someone that speaks their language. Um, you know, it's a safe space where their kids are also learning other things or their family is supported in another way. That's the same with like the YMCA of Flint or with an SOS outreach or with some of our Nordic programs is that there's more than just tossing money at a problem, which we know there's more than, and saying we're providing access. There has to be someone within the community that is having that conversation and also engaging the community to feel welcome and to engage together and to, um, you know, find each other. I mean, like you said, some of our kids, when they're out with the groups that they're with, a lot of people look like them. If they go on another day, they might only see two or three people that look like them. Um, you know, and our board maybe. chair talks about this. Maybe. <laughs> maybe two or three. Well, and it's our board chair possible. talks about this all the time because, you know, he's a black snowboarder and he's an awesome snowboarder and he's also in technology and he's a, you know, an amazing person. But he tells these stories about, he's like, he'll go to Aspen and people are like, whoa, you are the only black guy I saw today. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. I bet he says that when he sees somebody else that looks like him, he gets really excited as well. And he says, wow, somebody that looks like me. Because I do it all the time. I'm just letting you know, anytime I'm up on the mountain, I see somebody black. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is your name? Where are you from? How, how long have you been up here? Is this your first time? Is it? Yeah, where, where have you been? Like, when are you, where are you going? Well, it was the same. Like, I learned to snowboard in the Midwest at, like, a tiny mountain in the 90s, and there weren't many women. So, like, there were two other girls that I ever saw. And I used to basically dress like a boy. I wore my dad's old ski clothes. But once you found out that that was, like, another girl, like, you, you hey, what's up? Like, you're the, other, you're the other chick out here. What's up? How are you doing? Like, where do you go to school? What's, like, what's going on? And you ended up kind of gravitating. Like I had this little pack of girls that I rode with and same would happen to us. Like boys would throw things at us from the lift and we would, once they figured out who we were, but there's a lot of that is that once you find that community you band together, hmm. you're like, okay, maybe people are saying stuff. Maybe people think that I don't belong here. or They're going to post a picture of me on Jerry of the day or some ridiculous thing that makes me so angry. Um, another time another discussion but you kind of don't care when you've got your crew when you feel the support of the community behind you you're like I do not care what this anonymous person up here is saying about me like I'm rolling deep with the best people I know in my life having the best time and learning from all of their collective experience so like if if everybody else is rejecting me I kind of don't care I'm here I got my ticket I got my board judge all you want I don't really I don't really mind (laughs) So and you have, yeah, to, you have to have that constitution yeah. um, in, in that industry. And I applaud the, the effort that you, you put forth um, because I think it's just, you know, it's just so important, right? Um, it's industry, it's inter- interesting how industries are starting to narrow and people are starting to open up their mind, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm not going to go down the route, what you think I am, I'm just, <laughs> you know, for your, for your heel, for your mind, but it's just... <laughs> how industries start to squeeze you into thinking one thing, but people, right? The belief in people starts to allow you to kind of open that, open that, um, that opportunity. And I think to your point, it is the communities that surround us. Right. And that's what we talk about, you know, pocket outdoor media. It's like when we look at backpacker magazine or ski magazine or Vela magazine, Vela news, like, what is that image? What is that story conveying? And how can that community start to proliferate 
and start to include more allies so that they can all kind of start to surround people, right? Because you shouldn't have to be the only woman that goes onto the mountain and, and then tries to look for someone. You should be on the lift with somebody sharing a story about how much you enjoy that experience so it reinforces mm -hmm. that opportunity. And I love, what, Amy, what you're talking about before in terms of the stories, right? Because I can go back and I can tell stories about myself right there weren't necessarily snowballs that people were throwing at me <laughs> but you know they were um let's just say interesting words and phrases that people mm. might throw at me yeah. and you know what I love is now I can go on the on the lift and I can go on the mountain um, and I see others and my son and my daughter can cruise as fast as they want right because people are not looking at them as the only one but they're looking at them as a community of those that are on the mountain mm. so don i i guess i want to pose this question to both of you but I'll, I'll start with you of just you know what what does inclusivity in the ski industry or the outdoor industry at large look like and what's the responsibility of media what's the responsibility of these brands what's the responsibility of individuals like how what are what are what should we be doing and what should we be looking for and striving for? I'll use kind of a big term. question. It's, Sorry, it's so it's so comprehensive. It's so <laughs> comprehensive, right? So media, brand, and people. I think we have to have a three pronged approach. I think we need to look at both what's on social media and, and what's in traditional, right? Vertically and horizontally, completely integrated. <laughs> now, I don't I don't go down the, the all the different buzzwords, but I think it's it's changing. Well, I would say this, the one of the most important pieces is changing yourself, right? Mm -hmm. One of the most important things is, is re realizing that you're not really that much different than me. I'm not really that much different than you. Those are the things, if we kind of put up the walls and the barriers of difference, that's when we start to sort of push people away. Wait a minute, you don't look like me, you can't come over here. Wait mm -hmm. a minute, you don't talk like me, you can't come over here. Wait a minute, you don't dress like me, you can't come over here right? Once we start breaking down the barriers of our differences, then we start welcoming more people in. The barriers of our difference are set by sort of, you know, history and, 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 uh, of, of a, of a, and, a, and a troubled past that we've had as, as people. And so once we start to dive into that and unpack our own similarities, then we can kind of meet on the mountain, so to speak, mm. right? And it's the responsibilities of the media to tell those stories and to and and to complement the narrative that we are all trying to derive within the brands. It shouldn't be one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. It should mm -hmm. be one hundred twenty-five million dollars. I mean, I know all the brands that you're talking about, and it's ridiculous that they're only given pennies against the billions of dollars that they they make, and and never mind the conglomerates of of mountains that that need to be able to add their voice as, as well as write the check to the organization, right? And it all comes down to the people, right? Convening the conversation and then going out and reinforcing that discussion and then, you know, celebrating. When you see somebody that doesn't look like you, you just go up and go give them a big snow hug and just like throw them in, you know, <laughs> throw them into a big, you know, wall of snow and just like say, hey, you know, I'm so happy to see you, right? Those yeah. types of things reinforce that story and then they're then they're captured and spread but um i think as i said before it's about you know changing the the differences and recognizing the similarities in each one of us well i think that's really 
impactful because, you know, the three of us, maybe we represent different parts of what's called the ski industry, but all of us are parts of the community of it. And everybody listening to this podcast is a member of that community in one way, shape or form. So what you're saying of like, well, we'll start square one. Let's start with ourselves. Let's start Mm -hmm. with the way we think, the way we approach things, the way we talk to other people, you know, those things that, you know, as a community, you never want to be part of a community that says like, hey, you're a jerk and you're unwelcoming. And I think that that's like something that maybe a lot of people that are part of the ski community are facing and and realizing that the square one to deal with that is to what you're saying, start with you, you know, start with yourself. And hopefully that can become like a cultural growth within the community, you know, where it's just a shift in kind of how we approach everything. I don't know, Constance, if you have something to add to that, but. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly it. And it's the number one thing I tell people generally, you know, it's, you've got to start with yourself. You've got to start with your own perceptions and your whys and your, you know, why are you thinking this way? Why, why is this so shocking to you? Why do you think that you want to perpetuate what it always was instead of what it can be? And Mm -hmm. I think that those are the sorts of things that you have to start with. And then I think it's also this idea that it's so hard that people need to get over. I've sat on more hours than I can count of diversity calls in the ski industry over the past six months. Mm. And everyone is, it's so hard. It's so hard. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And we just look at what Tahani says. It's like, well, first let's take a look at ourselves. Second, let's ask ourselves like what we're willing to commit, like what resources, time and energy are we really willing to commit to this? And let's engage with people doing the work. And, you know, this is my open call. I have not done an official industry ask. So here we are industry, like we're here for you. We will help you out. We will, we'll take your time and your money. And we've got lots of people we can connect you to, but there's amazing organizations and there's a lot of people doing the work. And the thing is the work isn't that hard. My job is hard because of the doors that get slammed in my face or the barriers that are constantly thrown up. It's, I need a bus and I need kids and I need to have them in warm clothes and safe gear and people to supervise them. Mm. And I need that once they get to the mountain for them to feel welcomed and that there's a place for them. That's the magic formula. Mm. You can hire 10,000 consultants who will make you feel all sorts of ways, but at the end of the day, that's what it's going to take. I don't really know what else to tell you. And I think as we realize that that's a collective change that has to start with the individual, you can't, you can't ask someone to change you and you can't overthrow the whole system by yourself. But if each person is looking at all of the things that they've seen and that they inherently know, even if it's just being nice, you know, I I was telling someone recently that branding is so interesting that what I was hoping is that our sticker, our logo, that if people had it on their helmet, you could know you would talk to them and they would be Mm. cool right? Like I need some sort of like, I'm the person that's not going to make fun of you for not knowing, you know, that your helmet and your goggles shouldn't have a gap. I'm the person that's going to tell you what was the best, the best run today, or like maybe I'll, I'll sneak you into a powder stash that I found earlier. Like that idea of welcoming, it's like, the hard thing is I think in the outdoor industry and the ski industry is that we have built it on like the extreme and how awesome it is. I mean, like, Amy, we look to people like you to inspire us to do things that like, quite frankly, seem physically impossible to me. I am not, I'm just not capable of doing what you do, but that doesn't mean that I can't appreciate it and enjoy skiing or riding on a different level and be an active community member and participant that looks up to you, but also has a great time on a bunny hill with a bunch of kids and where, why that space isn't talked about just as much as, you know, 
the highly performance version. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's different. It's like in football and all those other things, it's like you have youth leagues and ways for people to participate where it's kind of like fun and easy. In skiing, it's like you're either a ski racer that can afford the $50,000 a year price tag or you are a weekend warrior that isn't a real skier. That has to shift. It's, yeah, we're all skiers. Some of us at a different level of participation, but there's room for everybody, right? Like, I know no one wants to stand in a lift line, but like, and that's usually where I get, why are you introducing more kids to the sport? The lines are too long. The lines. Oh, but I think, <laughs> wait, let me, let me throw one thing out there. The one thing that you did said, I, I, I think it is based upon extremes, but it's also based upon a certain level of privacy, yeah. right? Um, you know, Amy, how many secret places on <laughs> multiple mountains have you never told anybody about because you don't want anybody to 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 take your spot, right? That's also part of it as well. That's part of that that culture too. I mean, you can find it in other aspects like surfing culture, just mm-hmm. the same. Yeah, no, that's totally a part of like ski culture. I mean, it's part of our the the benefit of the individual is a problem in our world at large, but like, especially in the industry and in the ski industry, like, sure. It's a lot about like secrecy. And, you know, I, I get flack all the time for blowing spots up. I mean, that's kind of my job, right? Like I'm here to like market skiing and tell everybody how great it is, and how fun it is. And everybody's like, well, why did you tell them about this spot? You know? Um, but I think that like something to really consider, maybe this isn't as an altruistic perspective, but these brands, these resorts, this industry, needs to see the growth potential. And I've seen this within working within the women's sector of the market so much in that like the, the male side of the market is fairly tapped when it comes to growth. And there's a lot of opportunity for growth when it comes to like female products and female engagement in the sport. And we can say the same about opening up our community to different groups of people. And when we start people, you know, young in their lives as chi- as children or young adults, um, just seeing like, the reality of like, this is actually a smart business decision for the ski industry. Like I, I know that that's kind of like taking the, the, maybe the shallow side of it, but that's something that also needs to be brought to the attention of like, this isn't, this is for the benefit of the whole ski industry. And this numbers of skiers annually is shrinking every single year. Um, and that's sure, maybe good for your powder stashes or whatever, but the number of small mountains that are closing that could be places where people are taking their families and their kids to learn how to ski, you know, ultimately, I think this industry is going to be better when it grows, especially if it were to grow in this sustainable, inviting, encompassing way. Let's, let's do that. All right. Let's just, the three of us go, let's go buy a mountain. <laughs> let's go buy some small ski hills. That, let's, that let's, let's go buy thing. one. I can you, tell you, you wanna, all about that. I know. And there's so many. You, you have a place for us to go purchase? I mean, there's a couple. <laughs> I mean, our, the organization that, like, Share Winter, when it was National Winter Sports Education Foundation, the first big project is they did purchase a small mountain in New Jersey. And now it is its own nonprofit, uh, mm-hmm. the National Winter Activity Center or the Center, Winter for Kids. And then there's other ski areas that we support that are not for profit ski areas that, with a little more infrastructure, could support three times the amount of visitors but they don't have the investment in it it's like mm. amazing ski areas there's sky tavern in reno which has been a long-standing mm-hmm. community ski area that with a little bit of um investment could do wonders for alleviating some of the burdens in tahoe and also introducing people from the reno area which is having a population explosion mm. to skiing in a very sustainable, very, you know, affordable way. It just needs a little bit of recognition and investment and new nonprofit ski areas have popped up. Like Antelope Butte has been revived. And then you've got places like Mount Ashland that has an amazing business model. You've got Cochran's in Vermont. We have so many amazing 
opportunities that with just a little bit more recognition and a little more investment and better collaboration could absolutely do so much good. But the problem is, is they get overlooked a lot. And where do you find these lists? Because I didn't even know half of these mountains that you just, you just right? read off to me. And I don't even know where they are. And that's what's crazy is I have to dive deep on the internet or, you know, people come to us. So that the beauty of, of getting to run this organization is that I get emails once a week from youth groups and not-for-profit ski areas that are doing this work. We're like, whoa, there's a fund. Like no one ever gives us any money. Like there's a way for us to get money. Can we get some money mm. <laughs> basically? And then we've helped start new things in areas where we, we saw a need and had a, par- a partner or collaboration. But that's the thing is these, these lists aren't really out there. It's not readily available. I mean, on our website, you can see everyone that we support. Um, but we need to find more because we didn't spend the money on marketing, right? You know, I could spend, I could hire a PR agency for 60 or $70,000 or I could give that to a not-for-profit ski area and help replace a lift. So like we have that funding problem and especially in an industry that is very market driven and has a very tight core audience, it's hard to break in and talk about what we or the 30 organizations that we support do um, on the ground. And there's, I mean, we had $3 million worth of grant requests last year and we had a million to give away. We raise and give away a million. Every Wait, I'm, I'm still, I'm still confused. <laughs> I'm still confused. <laughs> You have huge ski companies out there and there's not a sort of a designated amount of their profits that need to go to your organization in order to supplement as well as support. I mean, come on, there's got to be one that's doing well that everybody else needs to follow. I mean, right now we have some ski brands that have supported us. I mean, head supported us last year. They gave us a check. And then also the Ski Areas Association and Snow Sports Industry America, they gave us nice checks. That's that 125,000 came from those groups. And honestly, we have- 125,000. Yeah. Head makes easily, (laughs) easily $100 million a year. Well, and I'm sure that they donate to a lot of different things. And the fact that they stepped up at all, and we have new brands coming in, hopefully we'll have exciting announcements. But to be fair, hopefully soon, hopefully soon, soon, um, we're working on it. Um, But a lot of it too is we were lucky in that we didn't really do the hard ask because we had some funding. We needed to prove Mm. that this, we wanted to prove the business model. We've been in stealth mode for all of you like nerdy entrepreneur, venture capitalist types. (laughs) We were in stealth mode, Um, but we're coming out of the shadows now, everybody. (laughs) Anyone wants to support us, we'll take your money. We have lists a mile long of people that want it. Um, but we've been collecting data on all of the youth. I mean, we, we funded 45,000 youth in some capacity mm. last year. Um, we, you know, we, we are only limited by how many resources we have to give away there. When people are like, how do we market? How do we get more people into it? We have to turn people away that want to go skiing. Cause we don't have enough resources to fund everyone that wants to do this and who wants to grow. So I don't know, maybe take a little of that marketing budget and just actually physically put people on mountains and in your gear. Like there's a quickie solution. I got you. I will help you out. Anyone in the industry, call me. Well, I, I, I <laughs> yeah. love the fact that, that Head would actually, you know, make that investment. But I think that them recruiting or being the, the front of that, right, where other people can come in and follow, if you will. Um, but I think that there should be a, a certain amount of required um, of your profits to go to 
you know, your nonprofit in order to encourage more people to do so. Cause that's to Amy, your point, that's ensuring the future, mm. right? That's you know, the future. The future is, is very diverse. The fair, the, the future is very different than what the past looked like. And so if you're not in front of it, I mean, you know what, maybe here's another idea, right? So we already got one idea and go, you know, <laughs> to go, um, I'm going to te- teach both of you how to, um, Teleski. <laughs> Teleski. And I'm going to take you take you to the symphony as well. And then, so that's one event total. The second <laughs> event is we're going to go buy a mountain. I, I think the third <laughs> is just, I think we just start our own ski company. <laughs> I, I, I think we start our own ski company and, and, and say basically, well, you know what? You are not capturing this market. Like that's our pitch, right? <laughs> you are not going after this market. So we will. Thanks yeah. so yeah. much. Yeah, Tahani, are you joining my board of directors? Can can I just recruit you right now? <laughs> you know, let me let me think about it. Let me think about it. I, I mean, look, if if anything, what I'd love to be able to do is go on, you know, yeah, you know, and go see some of the, the mountains that you're talking about because I think, you know, I didn't even know that there was a nonprofit mountain. Mm-hmm. I had no yep. idea. It's right? amazing. Half of these names I've never heard of them before. I mean, I I know certain places, and I think that's the marketing budget that you're talking about. You yeah. know, so who in the industry, you know, you have Columbia, right? Which did a, a big deal with, with Bubba Wallace, mm-hmm. right? And he's a, he's a NASCAR driver, right? Yeah. You, I bet you guys didn't even know that. Or did you know that? Okay. I knew it. Uh, Constance, you knew that. I did. I knew. Okay. So, you know, Columbia did a big deal with Bubba Wallace. Now, you know, people didn't realize that Columbia has been supporting a lot of diversity within the outdoor space for a little bit of time. And so, you know, you start thinking about the companies that are starting to be sort of a little bit more outwardly expressive about, you know, saying, you know, we, there's more people out here and maybe we did not serve the needs of that, of that community. And maybe we need to start thinking about that. So the change is happening. And when you have leaders at the forefront, like both yourself that are saying, you know what, I want more people here. And then that's that part where we start to believe in you because you're the ones that are um, changing the face, if you will. I think there's a part of that can, that can be reverse engineered a bit too with the, the the community of skiers and that I think a lot of people are making making purchasing decisions based on a lot of things now. And I think for a while in the outdoor space, we've seen people make decisions about what companies to support based on their sustainability practices or you know climate initiatives. And I think that these diversity initiatives and these kind of things, I think that's like our places you know, there's us members of the industry and then there's us members of the community. And I think it can be, that's, that's as much as we would like the, to come from the top down, it can start from the ground up too of, of people within the community Mm. saying, you know what, this is important to me. Um, and this is the right thing to do. And so I'm going to support brands that are doing this. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's something that is important to consider as well. You know, we, we want brands and companies to lead, but we, have influence in that, you know, as every single individual. And I think that, you know, the, there's been this conversation a lot in the ski industry about, you know, how the ski industry kind of worships the extreme. But I think something that I always remember is like the look on someone's face on the bunny slope is the same look on my face at the bottom of Mm. an AK line. And I think that that's something we need to remember and you can have, um, you know, aspirational marketing, you know, like, you know, Michael Jordan sold a lot of pairs of shoes to people that can't (laughs) dunk, you know? And uh, I think it's the same thing in skiing. And I think that like, I think we can be aspirational and welcoming at the same time, but that comes down on my shoulders, right? Like that comes down to me actually putting my, you know, 
walking the walk of showing up and skiing with these kids or spending these times. And those are things that like, unfortunately I have not done a good enough job of in the past. And, you know, like I've asked my brands to amend my contracts, to make it for sure Mm. in writing that I'm going to for sure stand up to these things. And I've asked my colleagues, other athletes on my teams to do the same. And I think that like, you know, I guess as we kind of blabber through our time very quickly, as we always do, I just think that the thing that I want to know from both of you is how do we sustain this, right? Like this is, this is not a moment. I know like for some people, they feel like this is a moment, but how do we sustain this? Like what is the one year, the five year, the 10 year kind of, how do we keep this going? You know, yes, it's up to us. Yes. We need these brands to do the right thing. You know, there needs to be a cultural shift, but kind of what's that sustainability aspect of it that we can kind of bring with us and keep that momentum going. Cause it needs to be there, you know? So I'll, um, I'll just, you know, say this, you know, in 2040, um, you know, the diversity will, will speak for itself. Mm. Let's just say that. Right. Um, so we're already on our way to a community and a society that looks very, very different than what it does today. And I'd say it's not just a five to 10 year plan. It's a 300 year plan. Hmm. Right. Um, and it, and it does involve Amy, to your point, uh, being able to make those pledges. And so I was just, I was just kind of thinking to myself, there's the, you know, there's the outdoor CEO diversity pledge. And I don't know if you probably know about that and all the different companies that have been a part of that. I mean, Constance, that's a place where I would just go straight to everybody that signed that pledge. I mean, so you have everybody from Decker brands all the way to, Pulse, Moose Jaw, you know, I know some of these companies, Outward Bounds, all these companies are thinking about diversity, right? Wheelie, I mean, I'm, I'm going through the list. Yeah, I'm calling them all out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Mammoth, um, Arcade, Outdoor Pro Link, Burton. I mean, all these companies are right at the f- forefront, right? Inkwell, Peach, you know, I'm going to, you want me to keep going? I can keep going all, <laughs> all across the board. Camelback, I mean, come on. I mean, we've got clothing companies, we've got gear companies, you know, we got boarding companies, LifeStraw. I know the founder of LifeStraw. I mean, I can hook you up with that. Brooks, we got shoe companies. We got companies all over the place that are signing these, you know, signing this diversity pledge. So it's, I think it's not only signing the pledge, but I think it's also committing to the funds that sees the future of an industry of which they've built, change, now recruit, develop a base of people that will therefore go out and tell these amazing stories and hug people that are or are on the mountain and by the way constance i love that sticker i want my sticker to be like, i'm sending you so talk. many stickers <laughs> can, you just, can you just send me that sticker um talk to me i'm cool right like some type of like really really bright bright yeah. thing that's on on my head but i think that's how you start to do yep. things and with pocket outdoor media that's part of what we'd like to be at the forefront of, of doing as well and our ceo robin thurston you know he si- signed this diversity pledge and sitting on the board this is what i want to yeah. you know to to be as as well as like part of the legacy you know as i said before talking about my kids my kids aren't going to get anything thrown at them right and if i see something i'm going to go i'm not going to go that's also part of me too right me not to go and yell but for me to go have a conversation mm-hmm. right and to sort of be in a disarming position versus come at it in an aggressive position when that person, whomever they might be, may not know, right? So that's a responsibility on both sides in both communities, in all cultures. And I think that's how we start to shift an industry that's been one way for so long 
into the way that we all wish it to be for everybody. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I think too, what's really interesting is, um, you know, on our part, like I haven't knocked on every door on that list. Right. And we, we plan to start knocking. So just like a little heads up, we're coming to dinner. Um, <laughs> just, but what's really is exactly hi, hi, outdoor industry. We'll take your money. Um, and distribute it to all the people that need it. Cause it, we give it all away, right? Like my, my staffing, my overhead is paid by a funder. Like every dollar that comes in goes back out. Right. Mm. So that's an important point for people to know, but what's really interesting too. And I want to make this point because it's a philanthropy point and it's an access point is that maybe someone like me from my background, I did not go to a fancy school. I'm, I'm a newcomer to the ski industry. I don't get access to some of those brands. I don't get taken seriously by some of those brands. I haven't been introduced to some of those brands. I didn't, you know, walk the walk or talk the talk. And some of the the nonprofits that actually get a lot of funding, it's because they have an allegiance through some sort of connection. And it's that same thing when we talk about empowering communities, is that access to capital or access to brands or access to people like you, I might not have had, and a lot of the leaders that we support maybe haven't had or they weren't taken seriously. And one of the main things that people don't realize about like grassroots community organizing all the way up through like big name philanthropy is it takes money for me to run around and knock on those doors. And sometimes for the check that you get back, it might not be worth it. Right. Mm. So where, where people have asked us to beg and do eight pitch decks, or I have partnership meetings where I've spent 10 hours talking to somebody and that might be $5,000. When I was an attorney, that would have been billed out in two hours. Right. So it's the value of, of the work of people on the ground that I think is ultimately super devalued, which has caused like a really huge economic problem Hmm. in um, philanthropy and empowerment, right? So that's a crucial thing. So anyone that is working on these problems on their own, I mean, it's very easy to get access to us, go to our website, ask for a grant. That's how you find us. Uh, And we do that on purpose uh, so that it's not some like, oh, it's because you know me or you know one of my board members or you know a brand Um, we have a 100% fair, everyone is held to the same standard grant process. Um, And in continuing it, it's the action, right? I'm seeing a lot of solving the optics of addressing the issue. I signed a pledge. I did this or that. I threw three scholarships out there. I threw a small check at a cute organization that sends me pictures for my website. That's the optics. Mm. And as individuals, we can hold people for the accountability of, I saw your optics where are your results? What are you doing? Mm. As consumers, as individuals, as board members, as influencers, as members of the industry, to keep this sustainable, absolutely everyone needs to call that out kindly. It's having a conversation. We don't necessarily need to get all up in arms, though there's time for that too, and I've been known to do it. But like you said, Tani, like it's a conversation. I saw that you posted about this on, on your website or you made a commitment to this. Tell me more, go deeper. Let me see who sits on your board now. What are you doing for grassroots community organizations? What are you doing for local families? Like, what have you done about your product line to make it more like size inclusive or accessible? Like, what have you, what have you done for sustainability or price points? Each of us has that ability as a human, as a consumer, as a, you know, in our own spheres of influences. So it's to keep talking. It's this. If we keep talking about it and we don't give up on it, that's how it gets sustained. The minute that we think mm. it's handled because someone looks different on the cover of a magazine for the first time in a long time, mm. Mm. that's where we lose it. 
Mm. So yeah, that's can't just be one and done, if you will. Exactly. No. Can't just be one one month out of the yeah out of the year, <laughs> if you will. Exactly, if you will. Yeah. Right? If you have can't just be one conversation. Yeah. Though either. Absolutely true. Right. It has to be several conversations. Yeah. Well, I think that that I mean to both of your points. That is super key. And I wish this conversation could go on and on and on. But I think that, you know, I, I know I personally have gained insight. And I think just like I, with anything, the more you have these conversations and then the more that you're more likely to have this conversation again with someone else. And I think that after yeah. people kind of listen to this podcast and just, I think the the ownership is there. And I think I know that I personally have a lot to do here, you know, and I've done a lot in female empowerment in the industry. And that's where I have faced tokenism and things like that. And I don't want to do that at this critical move. You know, I want to figure out how to be, be a sustainable part of the solution. And I think, you know, I really appreciate both of you guys taking the time to come on this podcast and, and chat to me and just kind of open up about both of your experiences. It's just, it's really, I feel honored. And I, I know our listeners do too. And I'm very excited for uh, the mountain we're going to buy together somehow. And, <laughs> um, but and the symphony people, will hold on opening day. <laughs> yes. I can't wait for the symphony. There's I'm so telling many. you, it's going to be amazing. Oh, the symphony. <laughs> I can't wait for it either. Um, for people, you know, that want to learn more, the sharewinterfoundation.org um, is your guys' website. And of course, if you feel inclined, please go check out the website, donate, you know, send messages, get involved, make some connections. If you guys are listening to this podcast and you know someone, um, th those things are important. And I guess from both of you guys, if people want to learn more about you, what you do, where can they find you? Constance, of course, share Winter Foundation. I don't know if you want to add anything there for listener engagement. Yeah, no, I mean, you can sign up to volunteer. Uh, we'll match you with programs in your area and you can learn more about all of the amazing organizations that we work with. Who are the real heroes here? I'm just, you know, mother henning a little bit. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, there's a million ways to get involved. It's all about taking the first step and deciding how you want to use your time, talent, and influence. If you want to throw it our mm. way, we're here for you. Well, yeah. if, I, if, I can, if I can post or if I can oh, yeah. send out a message to anybody about your organization, I'd be glad to do so. You, you know, people can find me always at on my Instagram, D0057. You know why? Because <laughs> I always thought I was going to be the first Black James Bond. My football number is 57. <laughs> so that's why it's 0057. Just let you know. Or you can just find me like at Dahani Jones. There it is. Can yeah. that be our ski brand? I think that's our ski brand. <laughs> Which one? D Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's got a it's got a ring to it. It's got a thing. It does. I think we're gonna have a couple more meetings after this. If it's this on discussion. one line, we know that that's important. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want two lines. You guys, this has been really awesome. I thank you both so much for your time. And again, to be continued, let's leave it at that. This is not over, to be continued. Um, everybody listening, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Long and Wear Podcast. We appreciate you. You can find me on Instagram at Amy Ski. Please send me questions, comments, all that good stuff. And we'll catch you next time on Long Underwear. Skiing and riding is wrapped up in memories. Memories that inspire me to push myself, like skiing the Palisades with my dad for the first time at age six. And memories that have taught me how to overcome fear and learn from past mistakes, like getting buried in an avalanche in Utah. Do you have a mountain memory that sticks with you? Well, we want to hear it. The good, the bad, the hilarious, the regretful, and the impactful. Leave us a voice message at 970-510-0451 and share your memories with us. We will be airing a memories episode at the end of the season with all your incredible voices.
Please keep in mind that voice memos with poor sound quality, language, or over one minute in length will not be considered. Feel free to share your name and where you're from, or leave it anonymous. Go ahead, drop us a line. Hi, I'm meteorologist Joel Gratz with Open Snow. A typical powder day in Colorado brings snow quality that is 15 to 1, or 15 inches of snow to 1 inch of liquid, and this quality will give you some face shots. Now, if you get snow that's 20 to 1, that's blower, and you'll likely be in the white room for your whole run. If you want to learn more about how and where to find the best snow, go to opensnow.com or download the Open Snow app for Android or iPhone. This podcast is a Warren Miller Entertainment production and is presented by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Long Underwear was produced by me, Amy Ingerbretson, as well as Jesse Hackett and Jessica McGee from the Warren Miller Entertainment team. Amy Ingerbretson here, professional skier, dog mom, cat lover, podcaster, and your host for Warren Miller Entertainment's Long Underwear. In this podcast, we are sitting down with world-class athletes, industry legends, experts, and mountain lovers from all walks of life. Nothing is off limits except for one rule. After introductions, there will be no more mentions of skiing or snowboarding allowed. We are stripping off the layers and getting to know the skiers and riders underneath the gear. Welcome to Long Underwear, presented by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company.